Mindy. Hey, Lana. I do my recording for a podcast in the room that I found the best acoustics for podcasts, which happens to be my bedroom. <laughs> I used, This book that we read was about um, a house cleaner, and I have a house cleaner because... Honestly, I don't actually know how to clean a house. It's lo- <laughs> like I know how to sweep, but like anything more complicated, it's like lost knowledge. My mother also doesn't clean her house, and yeah. I'm pretty sure my grandmother also hired a house cleaner. How does one do it? I don't even really know. And in a move of like ultimate feminism, <laughs> I have never bothered to learn. So if someone were to ask me, I would not know. Anyway, <laughs> So I was thinking about house cleaners because I always spill, like, sometimes my cocktails that I make because I'm sitting here on the floor on my, like, kind of off-white carpet. One of every two, right? Like, I spill (laughs) something. So what does my house cleaner think that there's, like, wine and, like, you know, creme de violets or, like, whatever, like, little stains in this one spot near my bureau? They're like, what type of strange person, like, chooses to drink right here? Maybe it's, um, like, a little, like, drunk elf or something. Yes. Like, that's that's totally a place where an elf would just hang out. Like, it's not elf on the shelf. It's, like... Elf by the bureau. <laughs> yeah, elf by the bureau. Getting drunk. Yeah, you know, fairy by the boudoir. <laughs> boudoir. <laughs> Dwarf by the... Drawers. By the night table. I always wanted a brownie. You know, brownies like help people clean. Why don't we have those? I could be okay with not having any other magic in my world except for a brownie. They pretty much just do nice things. Yeah, and then it's like, you know, they feel good from doing nice things and then you're like, good job. And it's like, high five. And then they just go away. (laughs) Like you don't have to pay them. You don't have to ask them to do stuff. Yeah, they're not going to curse you. You know, who listens to this podcast? Oh, like God or something? <laughs> God's like, I what gotta, God gotta. To <laughs> I'm I very wish. uncomfortable with the idea that God read this romance novel. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little bit better than less kinky than a lot of the stuff we've read, so. Hello and welcome to Getting Lit, Alana and Wendy's Tolson Literary Podcast. This is season three, episode four of our romance novel focused podcast. My name is Alana and I'm one of your hosts today. And I'm Wendy, your other host. Today we are discussing The Mister by E.L. James. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy's like, that is accurate. That is what we are discussing. That is what we, that is what we read. We read it with our eyes. I, I guess like what, what we've gotten out of this is, is Wendy apparently hated this book. And you know, I thought this book was pretty okay. Uh, in general. So, for those that aren't paying attention, uh, the reason why we feel so strongly about this book is this is by the author of Fifty Shades of Grey. I hope you know that. I hope, hope dear listener. Yeah, do read this. What are you you drinking, Wendy? I'm drinking um, mimosas, but I forgot the orange juice in the other room, so now I'm just drinking champagne. Nice. I was like, like, wait, a mimosa without orange juice is just champagne, which is... (laughs) We have a lot of those. Which is in something the cell. we have a lot yes. of. 
mimosas without the orange juice. Waft it. Just waft the orange juice over it. Not even a hint. Have you ever seen those? I think it's like a webcomic of other La Croix flavors, and one of them is a hint of a hint of lime <laughs> directly adjacent to a strawberry. Where it's like, there's one that was like, it tastes like what a watermelon would taste like if it was screaming from the other room. What are you drinking? Donna Riley. You remember Donna Riley because she gave me the uh, cream. Oh yeah, in my she's life. like I, she's like your sister from another Mister. Pretty much. I mean, I've literally like both conversations I've had with Donna Riley. I've told you about, so don't think like we hang out all the time. <laughs> But anyway, I was at something actually, honestly, that Wendy, you would have freaking loved. Yeah. It was a, um, it was a fat art show. Oh my god, so, I am so jealous. I'm so I jealous know. about your fat activism in Indiana. Why is that a thing? I, I want it here. I want it here in Arkansas. I'm, I'm just pissed. So there is a local collective of ladies who do a lot of fat activism. In fact, while Wendy was here, they had brought um, a somewhat famous yoga um, instructor. Jessamine. To Yes. And um, so this was a group of them had gotten together and done a series, uh, like a whole little collection of, of things based on fat art. And it included all sorts of things like plaster casts of people's bellies or thighs and with words that have kind of been said to them or there was a really nice one done by my friend Faith that was about um, her wedding dress that since wedding dresses are almost like little examples of what you used to weigh and she changed her wedding dress after her divorce to like reflect her current size. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And then there was uh, some interesting kind of art about uh, there was a, a bunch of spoons that were um, all aligned very prettily by my friend Allie with the words eat the rich on them. <laughs> it was really nice. Anyway, it was really nice. Um, and it was during their, uh, the reception was at the gallery walk. So I was there supporting my friends who had done this really cool thing. And so I saw Donna Riley at this. And then I'm like, yeah, right. What can I do with like 50, the, something by the 50 Shades of Grey author? And she's like, you could do 50 Shades of, of Champagne. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, Donna Riley, you are so cool. That is a lot of shades. Of champagne. <laughs> That's a lot of shades. So I did five shades of, of champagne. So I just added different things I had lying around. Obviously champagne, and I had some sweet and sour mix, uh, some rum, some uh, grenadine oh my God. syrup, uh, Coca-Cola. Not all together, in separate, separate little cups. <laughs> and then I made a very attractive five cups of uh, little cups of champagne. It came out really well. I mean, each of those, I kind of had upped the amount of the other things, so they're not, like, the most tastiest that they could be. <laughs> I can't imagine um, sweet and sour with champagne. You know, it was pretty much a margarita. Mm. I mean, it wasn't bad. It kind of needed a little bit more of the punch of tequila. Yeah, it kind of needed some tequila. It was like a, a weak margarita. Mm. Can um, Donna be on our show? I am thinking, Donna, she will be on our show because she is obviously really good at the cocktail part of <laughs> yeah. getting I will, I'll, you know, TBD, TBD. Thanks, Donna Riley, for always having really great ideas in, like, the 10 minutes I talk to you. Um, you know, in my like, head, like, she sounds so much like you, like, to, to be, like, organized and to do elaborate cocktails just because she loves it, that, like, in my mind, you're like, can I tell you about my best friend? And then you guys are, like, walking around Purdue, and you, like, see each other, and you're wearing the same outfit, and then it's like, woo! Then you walk like the same way. 
And you like buy <laughs> ice creams that are similar. I would love to be Donna. Donna Riley is actually not to get all like specific, but you know how I'm like recently became an associate professor. Mm-hmm. Donna Riley is a full professor. Full professor. So, so she's life like goals. who I want to be when I grow up. I know. Hashtag life goals. <laughs> and also pretty good at at, at uh, thinking of of drinks to nice. Make. Um, I love her already. This is really just all about Donna Riley. Uh, um, you've come to the Donna Riley fan group podcast. <laughs> we were talking about fan fiction before that. This is my fan fiction about Donna Riley. <laughs> Imagine what if Donna Riley had been on our podcast. <laughs> you guys like high five in the air. So yeah, so that's so that's what I'm drinking. Some champagne. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> this book, Alana. Uh, okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. This book. Now, we have to say we have to say that people hate hated this book. Like I selected it, and then I read how people really hate this book. And I, okay, all right, I guess we're going to have to do pros and cons. You're going to have to say something you hate about this book, and I will tell you something about this book that I love. You go first. Oh, well, thanks for putting me on the spot here. All right, I did not like how it was in him his perspective. I mm-hmm. knew it was going to be bad. <laughs> like, I had no delusions that maybe this will be okay. Like, maybe I'll like it. No, no. I've read, like, the first couple paragraphs of E.L. James's Fifty Shades of Grey. I've read fan fiction before. I've read Twilight before. I'm pretty sure I got the whole genre down. And, you know, this is her, like, first burgeoning out from the, you know, safe confines of Fifty Shades of Grey universe and uh, trying to write a real book. And I was like, this is not gonna go well. I just know it's not gonna go well. And so I had this, like, kind of detailed attached experience with this book where I was like, I mean, (laughs) I've been watching too much Project Runway because I go, I'm just confused about your choices. (laughs) That's that's what uh, Nina Garcia and Tim Gunn always say. They go, I'm confused about your choices. It's not, I hate this shit. It's, It's, I'm confused. Like, why would you start with him fucking his dead brother's widow why would you start oh, with that i love that i would have thought you'd been all about that because that was so damaged goods like he's so messed up at the beginning of the story you know, that's basically adultery uh-huh. yeah i know it's such a bad decision which is one of the things i loved about this book which is they have sex there is at least in the first 20 pages at least 10 to- like at least five times of having sex like in the yeah, first she, 20 pages he, he like fucks a a couple of rando women and he also yes. fucks caroline explicitly like this is i mean i was just very impressed by the sheer amount of ability to just get to get to like why we're all here i just found that to be but like, isn't it like a, a great... dead end like i felt like i was running into a dead end i was hitting my head uh... against a wall because what i want is not necessarily just sex scenes just sex scenes from mm. some randos i want i want the tension that starts with a romance and it took literally Literally a hundred pages for that romance mm. to start. A hundred. One zero zero. You know when they start in other books that are written by like real people? One. Maybe. So there's usually like an epilogue to like explain the background and then they mm-hmm. and then they interact in the within the first chapter. Like just get yeah, to the cause... romance girl. Like just get there. <laughs> 
I mean, I, uh, I yeah. knew it was a dead end. I don't know. Alana, are you like, are you like excited about this being like thoughtful and like a novel where they like um, suss out their, their physical and emotional issues by fucking? No, I read this in the same way as I read His Precious Cargo, which is as like a smutty mm. like novel. And so I felt like it did a good job of established being, it was a traditional rake beginning, right? Like, no. He has a bunch of sex and then he immediately, like, he, he fucks someone he really shouldn't and he's really messed up and kind of kind of dangerous in terms of like like his self-destructive behavior i think they did a good i think the author did a good job of establishing this character which i mean you can't you can dislike that type of character right because he's very much like this sort of like rake and the story's told once again from his point of view and so like that itself makes it it fits a genre it fits a genre of a certain type of of smutty romance novel and i think it does that well i don't know i i I think that when you um, when you start with the the hero fucking not the person that he's supposed to be with, you got a pretty high bar. Like you got you got to hustle to get that together. And the answer is like, is he redeemed from that? No, not really. Like he really likes her because she says things that are kind of funny. Like, you know, the Facebook instead of Facebook. <laughs> and he really likes her eyes. And that's that's pretty much it. That's his redeeming quality is that he likes her for that reason. No, and I wouldn't say like as a character, he like his the reasons why he like Alessia, why he likes Alessia is not entirely clear. But in most of these rich guy books, they're never really clear what they see in this person. I don't know. I was kind of apathetic about the whole, like, beginning of why he started liking her. Because that's a question that I always, like, kind of think of in the first place. Like, why do people fall in love? Which I kind of, like, you know, I'm interested in that question because I... I don't have that. And reading romance novels is not necessarily the answer to finding that. But (laughs) um, usually it's like, you know, the question is, how do they fall in love? How does a person fall in love? And sometimes it's just like, I don't know. She's got a cute nose. Fine. (laughs) I was like... If that's going to be the reason, then that's going to be the reason. But this dude fucks his brother's widow two weeks after he dies. What the hell? Like, that's that's irredeemable to me. That is irredeemable as far as a character. And you know what? He's not even really, like, that sad about it. He's, like, he's, like, surprised. At the end, he's surprised when she's, like, don't we have something more? Yeah, she fucking thought you had something more. Because you guys were fucking, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I felt like if if that's the world you're you're creating in which... Basically, there's this, like, prep school, like, picking of of two different people when everyone's kind of, like, you know, sexually explicit. I didn't, I mean, I had more of a problem with the fact that he fucks her and then ghosts her for the rest of the story, basically. Uh, You know, until, like, he can talk to her in person and explain that he's met someone else. And I, her motivations were not entirely clear. And I felt as if, and this book has a lot of that, for some reason, boys in prep school always, in romance novels, hang out in fours so that they can make four different books. I love those. (laughs) 
And one's like the so, funny one, and one's like the serious one, and one's yeah, it's like a boy yeah. band of of romance novels. Yeah, like one of them always goes off to war, mm-hmm. and you know, one of them's always the, the the personable one who asks all the "how are you feeling?" questions, like a therapist, so that we can have lots of feelings talk. Mm-hmm. And one of them is um, the jokester that has like a secret dark side. And I think this story is definitely about the bad boy of those particular ones, right? And I felt as if this was the beginning of a four-part series and that Caroline was going to come back with one of the other one one of the the four guys that had less of a personality because clearly there's going to be a book about the army guy and his girlfriend that he just needs to realize is like like his one is true love any, is there any books after this no but it felt it had that feeling i guess i i, would say. I like, think you um are taking a lot more for granted than what's going on <laughs> i mean if I think it felt like the way it ends um, before the wedding felt like this was the beginning of a series. And in terms of, like, the genre of, like, if I was reading this sort of book, it felt like, why do you introduce four unless, you know, like, it had that sort of, like, prep school boys who always hang out in four and they have equally different personalities, even though in real life people who are really similar hang out with each other. Mm-hmm. Not, like, a not like equal distance personality-wise. You know, um, I think the difference between you and me is that... I assumed that she's a bad writer, and you assumed that she's a romance writer. That's what it is. It's like, I read this as a romance novel. And admittedly, I think and as a romance novel, doesn't have as much of what you like in romance novel, is because it is about a character who has English as her second language, and also about a guy who just doesn't does a lot more fucking than talking. Ugh. Um, there's not a lot of feeling talk. There is not in this particular, and then book. nothing is resolved. There's... I also, it's like nothing is resolved. He has a brother. He has like unresolved grief that he needs to get over. He doesn't do that. He has this like weird fuck relationship with his brother's widow. He doesn't. He doesn't really resolve that. There's like nothing really that's resolved. There's just a lot of like. I also, yeah, fucking. I wanted to know exactly like what Caroline's issue with her husband was because it seems like they oh don't yeah, really that's not resolved. resolved that. I felt like that was the biggest she, thing. That she I was mentions offhandedly that he might have killed himself. We're not gonna go over that. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna resolve that. All right, fine. Well, yeah, and I felt like that was one of the things in which I was expecting in kind of the last hundred pages after we've sort of like gotten the main mobster out of the way Mm -hmm. we would have we would have continued that but it's interesting because this book is almost about less about the resolution like it seems like the main crux and this is the part of the book that's like really problematic but not like as a book but as like a person Mm -hmm. is that the main crux of the problem is not the fact that this this particular mobster tried to sell her into sex into sex trafficking that's not the main problem of this book (laughs) the main problem of of this book is that Alicia left her father without permission. And that is ultimately what is resolved in this book. Isn't that crazy? Like the fact that she ran away from a destructive marriage is what ultimately the author thinks we need to resolve in order to move forward in this book, which forces us into kind of a marriage of convenience, which I appreciated. It just seems like that's the true conflict of this book and that ultimately needs to be resolved is between her blatant, Alicia and her blatantly abusive father. Like, uh, emotionally and and physically abusive. And it's interesting that that's the resolution that the author has decided on that ultimately ends the novel, right? Um, which I found to be really fascinating as, like, a decision, right? 
Like, it was kind of like... I agree with you, because there's many times where I was like, I'm confused about your your decisions, EL. Like, I'm just confused. (laughs) Because why would you start that? Why would you end like that? I... I wish you could see me because I'm rolling my eyes into my head. (laughs) Like, you can see all white at this moment. Why the hell would you put this flat 2D character of her father as this, like, um, overbearing, manipulative, abusive father? And then you resolve it. Like, why the hell would you resolve that? Like, she needs to get the fuck out of Dodge. Like, that's what she needs to do. And then it ends with, like, him, like, kissing her forehead. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious right now? She needs to get out. And she needs to realize that his his behavior is abusive and she doesn't have to stand for that shit anymore. Instead of, like, cleaving to him and just and agreeing to his, like, shotgun wedding. Literally shotgun wedding. <laughs> and then everything's resolved. I was like, can you, like, make a house for your mom now that you're, like, a countess or something? Because she needs to get out. Because also, if you remember, she is abused. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. It's, like, there's a lot of things in this book where I'm like, that is irredeemable. Seriously irredeemable, you know? And it's just, like, that's not the logic that E.L. James has in this novel, right? Like, the resolution with with her father is somehow something that she thinks that we, as a reader, want to see. Oh, dear God. And it's so strange to me because, I mean... It's not, it's, it's like, it's like she exists in kind of a different universe or how she sees this romance novel is because that was not the, obviously the resolution that I as a romance novel reader want to see. What I want to see as a romance novel reader is her like running into all of her friends who see how rich she is. I wanted like the rich, see, she, look how rich she is now montage. Um, okay, here, you know, here. And that's not where it went, which is interesting. It's just interesting to me as, like, a place to go because it really makes clear that that you, you can't read this. Like, the way it works is just very different than other kind of books. It's not a feminist book. It's not, um, you know, it has, like, this element of, you know, like, misogyny that seems like reading a book from an earlier time in many ways. So. <laughs> Which we've read some really misogynistic books, right? Like, I mean, it's like if you read something from the 80s or the 70s or even the 90s, there's a lot of misogyny in those books as well. Mm -hmm. Um, This reminded me, and this is going to, like, sound really ridiculous, is it reminded me of the smutty parts of, and I didn't finish the book, so I shouldn't even say, the smutty parts of uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. (laughs) Um, cause that book, that book is very smutty, it's smutty? right? Smutty? But it's... I didn't even oh, know yeah. that. They have a lot of sex in it. And I was like, this is surprisingly good. This works as a romance novel. Cause it's all about like, you know, these people who are like following their selfish desires or something. Mm-hmm. And there's this really good resolution of these two characters that goes on for a lot of sex. There's a lot of sex in Atlas Shrugged, but it's similarly like... It's by someone who, if you know anything about Ayn Rand, it's it's someone who ultimately believes that is, like, in her core, anti-feminist in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it still manages to, to do like what is the the sexy parts of it quite well. And I didn't finish the book, so hashtag no spoilers on the Ayn Rand Atlas <laughs> Shrug book. Um, I'm pretty sure capitalism wins, mm-hmm. but um, anyway, but it reminded me of of reading something by Ayn Rand. Um, and you can disagree with it, but you can't. I felt like, in terms of of like the progression of the type of duke duke like you know rags to riches um you even they even managed to enable them to, in a modern universe to have kidnapping which is something you just don't see in modern books and they did that by for whatever reason he just decides not to give her a phone and i'm like why did she do that <laughs> Why did the author do... I'm like, ah, so she can be kidnapped later. Ha ha! Clever. Because otherwise, you know, you would just fucking text someone. Yeah. Be, so so that's kind of how she managed to keep a lot of uh, this sort of genre of book in there. So I found that to be... I don't know. My expectations are excessively low for romance novels. Um, And I agree that... Alicia is basically a paper doll. She's so boring. Um, she's incredibly, incredibly boring. And also, boring. like, the cutest thing about her is that she says things wrong. Like, that's what he I likes know. about her. Mm-hmm. She's going to grow out of that, dude. Like, she's going to learn English well enough to not make those mistakes, and then you're going to be fucked because you're married to her. Don't forget that she's also an excellent cook. Oh, God. I I had, like, flashbacks of watching, like, um, 90 Day Fiance and, like, the, um, the Russian mail-order brides. Like, you know, I was, like, at this point in my life, I'm, like, you know, if it works, it works, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't have anything to say about Russian order brides because if it works, it works, you know? And there's a lot of, like, abusive relationships out there, but you don't have to be a Russian mail-order bride to... To be in an abusive relationship, so if it works, it works. So I, I kind of like had that opinion of like, oh, okay. So he just really needed like a mail order bl- bride. That was the problem. Oh, and I mean, we can go over the fact that all right. So the book deals with a person who is almost a victim and is a victim of human trafficking. So she is brought to the brought to Britain to um she thinks to work and she's brought there to be a prostitute, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so when he figures this out and like that they're looking for him, he whisks her away to um to a, a delightful cottage in Cornwall <laughs> um to kind of lay low, which is pretty much more human trafficking. <laughs> like if you so I've is. been to like so it, it actually is not any different than the rest of them. <laughs> I had such a hard time with that. I was like, how do you think you're different? How do you mm-hmm. think you're different than the rest of all these assholes? The the Which human trafficking the asshole, the um asshole who wants to marry her against her will. You are not any different. <laughs> No, no, he is different because he is both white mm. and rich. Oh, which thank God! Throughout the book, 
I mean, like, he has basically broken the law multiple times throughout this book, right? Like, he harbors, he evades, he, you know, he basically beats up this, he basically assaults this human (laughs) trafficker. And also, like, Um, I like how, um, I like how I was like, you know that in, like, England has some pretty strict immigration rules. Like, they are <laughs> fucking strict. So how are we going to navigate that? Oh, we're just going to throw money at it? All right, that's fine. That's fine. We're going to do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, like, he's just, like, he, like, thinks about following the law, and he's like, wait a minute, I am rich. Wait a minute. I don't have to. Got we it. don't need any of that. Um... The power balance is so messed up. How can you be okay I with know. this, Moana? The power balance is so messed up. I don't know. I mean, but it's it's pretty clear from early in the book that, like, I mean, she is such a doorknob of a character that you really don't feel any particulars. I she agree that, like, the it? fact he's... Is that what you're saying? I mean, no, no, she wasn't asking <laughs> for it. You feel the same... Dude, no, no, no. We have agreed... That in romance novels, things that you would not personally agree to, you are fine to happen. Like, people are getting... You have been fine with all manner of things, Wendy, in a romance novel. Kidnapping, like, you know, basically rape. You liked finders... You liked finders keepers, where basically he, he, he like, assaults her repeatedly, hoping she will eventually like it. <laughs> and you're suddenly not okay with someone who whisks someone away to their Cornwall home. Just because it happens, that's what I feel like. I feel people are hard on this book because E.L. James is successful. I feel like people hate this book because E.L. James has made lots of money giving ladies what they want, which is these kind of destructively over-masculine, overpowered male characters mm-hmm. who just give ladies lots of orgasms. <laughs> and I, she gave the people what they wanted. She made a lot of money after it. And that's why people like to bash E.L. James. They like to read her book like what it's not. They like to read it as literature, and it's not. It's smut. <laughs> it shows you in the first couple of pages that this is a smutty book, and people are going to have a lot of sex. Well, and also, um, I mean, she's writing from a different genre. Like, it's not it's not a romance genre. It's a fan fiction genre. Like, she started out in fan fiction and she moved into mainstream. And the one of the things that we learned from that article that you loved is that the marketing was the tipping point. Because the marketing, she asked for her books to not have naked chest pictures and to be in the regular romance section. To be in the front and not hidden in the erotica section. So that is why everyone hates E.L. James is because she's not in her corner where she's supposed to be. Well, where people can feel like they can just, that she's she's less powerful in terms of it. And I will say on the back of this book, it does say in, in small words, erotic romance, mm-hmm. ma- mature audience. She's still an erotica or romance novel writer, but she's able to make a book. The fact that she took romance and erotica in this sort of like overpowered male character and that she moved it into mainstream is the thing that people often hate right yeah uh, they like they don't like that people other people like these sort of domineering stories it's not right? yeah it's not that it's erotica because erotica has existed forever and erotica has existed within its little world it's the fact that it is stepping out of its world which i think is really interesting um i was talking to my sister katie who uh reads a lot of fanfic 
fiction and has read fan fictions for the past like 20 years so she kind of knows a little bit about the history of everything and and I was like is she like is is E.L. James like the first person to expand out of her wall of like fan fiction and Katie was like no like there's Cassandra Clare who does Immortal Instruments and I know people who read Immortal Instruments and I'm like do you fucking know Cassandra Clare also writes really smutty shit on the internet <laughs> like but like Cassandra Clare moved into YA and she didn't use her manuscript from the fan fiction universe so she was just kind of like pushed out into that area and there was no wave but E.L. James was like I'm writing erotica it's based off of Twilight and I think that's really interesting I think it's interesting that it's like it's not necessarily like many people have moved from the universe of fan fiction to the world of publishing but E.L. James was the one that really broke out of that construct of of romance novels well and I think sometimes the thing is that they not really you I mean you you're a connoisseur of it but sometimes I feel like the things that people have against Twilight are elements of the genre of romance like I mean the idea of sort of these characters that exist either to talk I mean mostly in, in most of these books they either are talking about their feelings or their you know it's an element of this center forward romance type of book furthermore Fifty Shades represents a sort of romance novel that is not while made for women and by women has elements of a type of genre that is not that does not have mainstream ideas about how romance should work yeah like there's there's mainstream accepted ideas and that's that's the kind of romance that I read where it's like, you know, Mary Belogue and, and all these other people who have, yes, it's it's romance, yes, it's smutty, but it's going to have a lot of love talk in it. They're going to get married at the end. And this is, um this sort of like, I felt like this, this, this sort of book, and I haven't read Fifty Shades, but this makes me more interested in Fifty Shades. I'm not an SMM person, but I do feel like this fits in the genre, not as much of that, but it still seems in the genre of the domineering and male-centric version of events that is really interesting as a genre I mean and this happens all the time where like their male characters are like she must be mine <laughs> I um, love that like it happens <laughs> see you like that right like she must be mine but this dude um, was a puppy and, well yeah well he spends a lot of the book like in this almost Victorian way trying not to sleep with Alicia and never does the book expect that Alicia might not want to sleep with her male co-worker not only because she was recently a victim of serious trauma serious serious and not serious. only because all she wants to do her main motivations as a character is she just wants to not be sold into sex trafficking and play the piano yeah those are her dreams those are those are those pretty are much pretty all she high high-reaching dreams <laughs> it's interesting that like you know that in no way does this book ever think because he's supposed to be this sort of like character i mean he's literally a male model Right, Lord. he's a male model, and he DJs, which sounds like the most like broiest. <laughs> Every bro time he I said that he imagine. DJs, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't and doesn't. What does he play? Does he play squash? No, he he fences. He fences. Oh, God, what a douche! Oh God, what a broy type of. Th- he's a douchebag. He's, he's a, a douche. giant douchebag. Which is like, if we have and to he- like outsource women to like make him happy, that's fine. Because I'm not gonna date this douche DJ. <laughs> 
Who, like, fucks his brother's widow. Let me tell you, though, Alana, here are the reasons why you would not like this book. (laughs) First of all, Caroline is a villain, and it's woman as competition equals villain, and you hate that. Yes. You hate that so much. I do hate that. She, like, I know that you were, like, trying to think of her as, like, a future character, but let me tell you, it's not that. It's not that. (laughs) She is a villain. She is the competition, and there is nothing that's going to happen for her other than getting her heart broken. This is a one-off. this book also came out this month. All right, all right. Long term bet, long term bet with us and the listeners. You're all right. so I optimistic. I think that this is gonna have a. I I do. Long term <laughs> bet. I think this book is gonna have a sequel. No, no. All right. Now I, think- I, I bet you. <laughs> I, I bet you a bottle of gin that uh, <laughs> that um or champagne. They drink champagne in this book, right? It could yeah. have a sequel, but is it going to be a sequel with Caroline? Fuck no. She's okay, a villain. I will agree. I agree that Caroline like was. I think that Caroline in the original version of this book was supposed to betray Eliza and um, Maxim, and they took it out. It felt like they had edited out the the moment of betrayal of when Caroline sell, oh, sent yeah. them to the sex traffickers. Then it she felt was like, like they had, get that's where they were going because she is like such a. I mean, I was pretty sure that she had murdered what's his face, her his brother, Maxim's <laughs> brother. I was pretty sure throughout the it's book. Melodramatic. I was like. Yeah, like, I thought that we were headed in that particular direction, but I think she just decided that was too harsh either. Because um, Caroline seems to me like like she could be crazy. And then she's not crazy, which didn't really make any sense, and I was like, well, why did you have this other character here? Was it just to make him look like a terrible person? Because he yes. is, for, for sleeping with her. Um and and then they had and then they realized that like they didn't have any female characters that they liked and so it felt like they literally whenever they mentioned the brother they were like oh yeah and he's got a sister too <laughs> the the weirdest thing about this is we set up a villain and we use it as a throwaway like a throwaway <laughs> conflict like she's she's being captured by her betrothed that she was running away from in Albania in the first place and she sees them together and she's like oh my god they may be a thing and I was like now like now you're gonna put it (laughs) now you're gonna use it like you should have used it somewhere in the middle like you should have been like it should have been like one of those middle issues that is not as big as the real issue but no it was a throwaway it was totally over it was overshadowed by the whole crazy betrothed husband thing yeah, which was really interesting because in this book, in general, women are powerless as characters. <laughs> They're powerless. Why are you okay like, with that? I don't understand. I don't know. It's so, but it's so like towards its like towards its strategic objectives as a book. It's perfect. Like women throughout the book are totally useless, with the exception of his mother. He hates his mother. Another and fucking she, The only thing that she's able to do is she leaves her his father, and he hates her. Oh, yeah. That's so unresolved. Why would you bring that shit up and not resolve it? I hate that. I hate not resolving emotional issues. They should do a second version of this book that's just the therapy session so that you can... You can get all, all the Just feelings. Just a whole page of like, hey, I have come to the conclusion that I love my brother and that though he, I found out recently that he did commit suicide and I found out 
that his wife is actually the culprit and I also have resolved all my issues with being in a relationship so that I can be with this woman who also does not speak English in the first language and so I am happy and also my my mother I forgive her for being an absent mother through most of my life because it turns out that my father was abusive and that's what we were doing I just want a therapy session you want everyone to resolve these issues and talk about it Alana here's another reason why you should not like this book I love how this has become I didn't like love this book like I think I should say (laughs) But this was still, like, a three stars. Like, I thought it was going to be a bad a book. three star? Yeah. Three? Three is the highest that you give romance. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I've given fours, and I have given the occasional five. Mostly for those uh, uh, Alonia Andrews books. I love Alona Andrews. Oh, so good. She's so good. Yeah, I think I gave this three. Okay, here's another reason why you would not like this book. Mm -hmm. Um, So something that always comes to me in my mind when I read romance novels at these days, after talking to you um, so specifically about romance novels most of the time, you know that part where it's like she almost is raped and then the guy is like, I'll save you. And then he also like comes on to her and she's like, can you not? I was almost just raped. That is one of your big pet peeves. That is one of your pet peeves. I hate the, you know, I was just nearly like sexually assaulted. But you know what would really help right now is to have sex. That would be exactly what I want to do right now. I'd love to do something that literally recalls the element of trauma that I just got through. In my head, I call that the can you not scenario (laughs) can you like not can you not come on to me while i am like still getting over the trauma of also being in a i don't know an abusive relationship or whatever this entire book is a can you not because she is (laughs) like she does not process her trauma from almost being a sex slave she was almost a sex slave that's a big thing and more specifically just the fact that she that she is a virgin after all of those experiences does not mean that she is not psychologically affected so in almost affected. the same way as as if she had been raped, right? Mm. Like I think that's still the fact that you have realized that you are have been basically kidnapped and were about to be forced into sex. There's a physical difference between the two, but there might not be a psychological difference. And mm. I, I hate that where where like basically male protagonists often think that everything is okay as long as you got there in time before the penetration of sex happen yeah right like i think i hate that romance novels because i think it it doesn't deal with the fact that what what happened was psychologically problematic Mm -hmm. um and this is which is a problem i have in romance novels in general it honestly treats um attempted sexual assault as foreplay which i don't like you know like it treats it as if as if as a reader what i would like to read next is then is that is that they have sex. And I think that that is a little bit of a problem that I have with the use of of sexual assault in general as a, as a titillating example because in my brain sexual assault is not sex. It should 
shouldn't be in anywhere close to sex. It is a psychologically happen as if you've been attempt as if someone has attempted to murder you. And and I don't think that you're willing to do anything. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And in this book, this book is incredibly guilty of assuming that one can so one can heal sexual assault with really good sex. It's that idea over and over again in this book. And also, like, the idea that whatever you're doing is not traumatic because you are rich and because you are well-intentioned. I think everything has been an intentional move by E.L. James. In her kind of universe, that's what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, you could not subscribe to, to that sort of thing. This is why I read historical romance. Because when it's, like, present time, I'm like, you know we have therapy now. Like, you know we have, like, you know, women have rights. And, you know, we have, like, nonprofits that help people who are having immigration issues. Like, you know we have all that, right? Like, <laughs> you don't have to, like... So, Wendy, if this had been set in the planet Zebulon, you would be more okay with the structure. No. Because I am not, I am just not interested. I'm not interested in the male gaze. And we start in the male gaze. And we fucking end in the male gaze. And there's that part where he's like, don't come, don't come, don't come. And I was like, that is dampening my interest in this in this sexual intercourse thing. You know, and she's so like she's so innocent, virgin, sweetheart. That is something which, in my basic understanding of reviews of the book, the thing that really drives people nuts about this book, and it sounds like romance novels in general, which I think is is a true thing. Which is Alicia is a virgin in this mm-hmm. book, and the book is often like has at least a hundred, two hundred pages just on that premise of this sort of virginity and how it's so important. I mean, there's there's some slut-shaming going on, definitely. There is slut-shaming undertones. Well, and in general, there are in romance novels, this idea that everyone is a virgin and the fact that even though she is a virgin and knows absolutely nothing about sex... You know, and that's the, you know, that that every single time they have sex is, like, the best time he's ever had sex. It's sort of, like, part of this fantasy, right? The sort of magic vagina thing. And that her, nothing that she could have learned about having sex could have possibly made her better at having sex. And probably it would have been detrimental to her. Detrimental, yeah. The idea that you're... Yeah, that somehow your ability to to be good at sex has to do a lot with your character personality and not about you as a person. The book definitely understood that part of women aren't like born with an understanding of how to have sex. And certainly if she was brought up in a small village, she might... They always, like, get around this in historical romance novels by saying that they've had, seen, like, you know, basically farm animals have sex. And somehow it's supposed to teach them a lot about sex. But this book spends a lot of time, like, explaining that those types of things from the point of view of him. Okay, so, okay, so usually in romance novels... Um, especially Regency romance novels, there's, there's that virgin who just realizes that sex exists. Um, and she also like, is like, oh my God, there's so many things that you can do with the body. And, and that's always fun, you know, in its own context. It's so weird to see it on the other side, like to see it on the guy side where he's like, I'm so turned on by the fact that you have no idea what to do with my penis. I just, I am so turned on. And that's when it gets a little weird. Like, that's when it gets a little weird. Because 
all those ladies that he's been fucking for the past, like, what, 20 years or whatever? He's, like, they've known what to do with his penis, and now she's, and now he's like, I, you don't know what to do with your, my penis, so I'm really attracted to you. The fact that she doesn't know that he is loaded is also somehow oh my god that killed me okay here are some other things that i really hated about this book first of all why does she not know what milord means if you read <laughs> one half of a georgia georgette hayer book you know what milord means she was like oh, definitely if you watch the bbc you know what milord means yeah right? she was like she is milord your last name Fuck no, it's not your last name. <laughs> You're so stupid. And that's why he likes her, you know? Like, oh, I didn't put together my lord and my lord. Oh, that's so surprising. I don't know why he left that out. I I think it was an extraneous part of the plot. You know, you're already rich and you're already <laughs> super important anyway. It's not like it's going to make any difference. Yeah, she honestly, she cleans your fucking house, all right? She knows. Which, <laughs> she knows by the way, disparity. I feel like all romance novel artists are thinking about renovating their bathrooms. All authors. <laughs> <laughs> because the amount of times we've read books, heard of that very specific type of shower head that rains down versus mm-hmm. like out of a particular like shower head. Oh, yeah. I swear, like I've read that three or four times in rich <laughs> romance novels. Like they're always like, man, if this book takes off, I'm going to get, I'm going to renovate my bathroom and I'm going to have one of those fancy shower spigots. That's how apparently you know someone's rich is they have one of those raining showers uh-huh. or the two sprouted ones. <laughs> and they know this particular bit of research. Like if they were going to renovate their bathroom, this mm-hmm. is what they would do. There's a definite um, moment of just like rich shopping, like rich porn. You know, I have a giant bathroom and I have really nice sheets and I have really nice it's like for some reason we always have to like spend at least a little bit of time on how amazing everything is and then at the same time I'm like you're you were almost a sex slave and you're basically almost still a sex slave like I mean okay so she is at a little bit of an advantage by the end of the story because she is no longer in Britain illegally she at least can't really be prosecuted for that anymore though technically the person who brought her there is now under custody and could turn her in but i mean what if he had decided he was just going to keep her as a sex slave he does she really has no recourse in this story the power is so incredibly um the merely the fact he's rich though my favorite rich version of it in this story is when she tries to leave the the manor which is very you know like when she wants to leave and she gets lost in his giant house i was like ah yes like that's the ultimate rich guy problem. You can't get out of the house because you can't figure out how to get <laughs> And she just starts so walking. Big. And he's like, why the fuck are you walking? She's like, I don't really know what else to do. I have no money. I have yeah. nothing. Like, I-, I felt like in some ways, this book is really hilarious to think about. Um, Maxim being, basically being Zoolander because he's a male model. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? That would have made it so much better. He's like, like, oh, there's no way she could possibly have known that I'm so rich. You know, the part where she's like, I was bulimic. You can read minds. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's kind of also the part that I hated about this book because I was like, what exactly is his like plus points? He's white. He's rich. He has a title. He's cute. He also can play the piano. Oh my god! I I got to the piano part and I was like, a fucking course he can play the piano because you know what? Edward can play the piano and Christian can play the piano. Of course he can fucking play the piano because that's one of the shorthand like bullshit things like I just felt like it was like shoehorning everything into whatever she wanted it to have wanted to happen Mm -hmm. at the same time like we wanted a secret prince we got a secret prince you know I know that rakes exist in romance novels a lot but we don't fucking see them be a rake we just it's true I think your biggest problem with this is like he is still a rake at the end of the story. Yes, there's no redeeming quality. There's no redeeming of him from his bad boyness. Everything he's done is from the selfish need to possess Alyssa. Mm-hmm. He never does anything that is truly... I mean, I think the attempt of him going back to Albania is in some ways meant to redeem him, but just makes him seem all the more selfish that he's willing to yeah. not only endanger Alicia but her whole family. <laughs> Um, and also, like, the disparity of, between her situation and his situation continued to be a problem. Like, it was not it was not in any way alleviated throughout the story. He was mad that he couldn't have his private jet. Like, he was like, <laughs> I couldn't get a private jet because it was too, um, it was too close to the time, which is annoying. And meanwhile, um, she's, like, sitting in a trunk of a car, hyperventilating because she can't deal with, um blackouts which like because she recently was in a situation where she was almost gonna be a sex slave like you your situations are very separate like there's <laughs> there's no meeting in between like that's pretty much the one thing that doesn't for him that and his like undocumented cleaning lady keeps getting kidnapped like we hear that story almost entirely from his perspective which is you know how bummed he's gonna be if she ends up getting murdered he's Uh, gonna be real bummed and also like at the very like basics of this conversation do you really feel comfortable dating someone who also picks up your underwear like (laughs) do you really are you really okay with that you leave your underwear on the floor and she picks I will it up. say one of the grossest part is uh, before he knows how old she is, he is basically merely sexually assaults her. Yeah, and then he says that she's 23 and he's like, good. <laughs> You're a predator just like the rest of these predators. You're still a predator if she's 23. <laughs> like, I mean. <laughs> uh, uh, like, anyway, so I thought that was kind of gross. I'm like. It was really gross. Um, and the, I would say the last 130 pages, maybe. And the first 100. The trip back to Albania. The last 100 and the first 100. You're okay with her, him just fucking people for no reason? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It established the type of book we're reading. It is a book and about a guy who has lots of nameless liaisons with ladies and liaisons he shouldn't really have. It was a very dangerous liaisons, you know, like, I think that the sex in this book is, is much more well-written than other books we read. Um, I don't know about that. Okay, there's a certain part in pacing where I, like, could not handle it. So there's this part where she, where he is, like, you know, having sex with her, possibly for the first time, I don't remember. And um, he is, you know, he touches her and he's like, she's wet, which happens. 
you know, and then a minute later, like a minute later, she, he's like, she's wet still. I was like, it's not, it's not like it was a minute before. I'm like, it's not going to dry off. Like what? Did you think there was a blow dryer down there? Like suddenly she's dry, you know, like that is a mark of bad pacing. Like, you know, I know what she was trying to do. She was trying to like show that, you know, he wanted to say, oh, she's so wet. She's so wet. You know, but um, the fact that he had to say still means that she chose the wrong tempo to pick that (laughs) i was like yeah it's like she's like now keep it in (laughs) she's wet still (laughs) i was like i was like you know how the human body works right like there's not a lot of like air circulating down there so i mean it stays for a while that was one of my problems. Also, when she said on the wrong end of a gun, which the wrong end of a gun is the the shooting part of the gun. But she- also, like, let, you know, note to future romance novel writers: never describe something being fisted. I understand you mean being held in the hand, but my brain, as a person reading a romance novel, goes to an entirely different space, and I'm just uncomfortable with that happening. You didn't know you were signing up for that. Like, why Why wouldn't she just continue to write S&M? Well, I think, I think she finished the Fifty Shades, and I think, I think maybe in some ways she was, is at her heart a person who's trying to mainstream romance and specifically a very specific type of genre um inside of romance like that seems to be her overall goal in writing something like this i think that she's a little bit trying to show that what she does has it is a little bit more than just mainstreaming s&m practices i think she was trying to also she's also trying in this book to mainstream also this sort of like old school domineering male focused um like like kind of ethos of writing romance novels which i think people have a problem with and that's one of the things that they're really mad about they're not mad about her writing skills i think that she is as accomplished as most romance novel writers we read but like i think people reject her view of the universe which is very misogynistic and I think that's really where people should be directing their criticism in general is that, you know, like I told you, it's like reading in Ayn Rand or, and I'm ashamed to admit that I've read this, but I read a uh, story of O way back, maybe a couple of years ago, and I still have nightmares about it. It's so scary. It's a scary book. I can't believe that's considered erotica. It's, I think I, this was definitely better than that fairy book we read. <laughs> Um, you know, which also had, like, a terrible character. And then... Amish vampires in space. I feel like this was better than Amish vampires. Just because, what the hell was that book? It just didn't even make any sense. I thought that this was better than the Amish midwife book. I don't know. I don't know if I would make it better than the Amish midwife. I enjoyed this more than biker romance, but I know you love biker romance. I love biker romance. Biker romance is so, like, in a genre. Like, it's like, here's a box... Put it in it. Like, (laughs) 
this is not in a box. Like the problem that that kills me about this book is that it's like she's trying to be like a novel, but you know she's not that great at writing, so it's not working out. And it's just I, I don't know. I know she's not. I know she can't pull through. I know she can't pull through with most of the things that she said. And of course, at the end, like I was like, oh yeah. Like, there's a lot of dead ends. Yeah, I felt like when I read it, I'm like, that's what this book was about? <laughs> okay. Like, I, like I, as you can tell, like, it's giving the author a lot of benefit of the doubt. I think maybe what your, what your experience was is that you were looking at a carnival version. You know those carnival mirrors that, like, make people look really squat or really tall? You know those... You were looking at a carnival version of a romance novel, and you were interested in how it was, like, weirdly shaped. And I was like, I know you're trying to write a romance novel. I know that you're trying to, like, make a romance novel, and this is your result, and this is weird. No, I felt like it was pretty... I think it's also, like, I had heard this book was so bad, and, like... It had no typos, as far as I could find, and it progressed <laughs> as it should have in the genre that it should have, and so it, you know, I and I and I, you know, and I considered myself entertained mm-hmm. um, by reading it. So in that way, like I think it was fine. But we've also been Wendy. We've been talking for an hour and a half now, so we should, <laughs> we should probably. I'm sorry, Rosie. This has gotten so long. Uh, like, is there anything else about this book besides, like, my attempting for you to think this book was tolerable and you attempting to convince me that this book was the worst thing we have read? Worse than fairies. Worse than Amish vampires. I don't know if it was worse than all of those. I just I just am a little perturbed by the fact that you, like, believed that it was going to do something. I think I read it as a, this is a manipulating male character. He's got a manipulator like he does, and he's going to lie to her, and uh, pretty much he's going to kidnap her, and that's that's the genre. That's where we're at. That's fine. It's fine like, to be kidnapped. Listen, it's a romance novel. That's what happens. You have a woman in distress, of course she's going to dis- be kidnapped by some sort of Yeah, like a, a Scottish prince kidnaps some girl. A, you know, a duke that has a scar down his face, kidnaps a girl. A guy who lives in current day London does not get to kidnap a girl. It says in the back, erotica romance. I don't know. I didn't... I, I think we're going to have to agree and d- to disagree. And I guess I'm just going to have to take on the whole world because everybody hates this book. <laughs> I told everybody. you you would like Fifty Shades. You should read Fifty Shades. We're not going to read it. We're not going to read it on this podcast. I, like, in the same way that I cannot handle the sexual assault that is inside of Game of Thrones, I don't think I can make it through Fifty Shades. (laughs) I still like reading a romance novel with you, Wendy, (laughs) if you hated it. That's that's what makes this this partnership work. Because we have the- such different opinions. And we, we definitely, I think I read for the smuttiness and you read for the feelings. I do read for feelings. There were no feelings in this book. There was a lot of sex. He showed most of his problems through sex. 
he needs to talk yeah. about his feelings. Next month, we are having back, by popular demand of me and Wendy, um, Catherine Two. Macy, my friend slash librarian friend slash real life friend, who reads a lot of romance novels, and uh, and she has suggested, I mentioned previously that she reads gay hockey romance. I love and we it. we are reading gay hockey romance yes. novel. We are reading... Him by Sabrina Bowen. I'm so excited. I know. It's got, like, the picture on the cover. I know this is going to be good because it's like a hockey stick, a suggestive hockey stick, and a guy lifting up his shirt to show his incredible abs. Yes. How could we go wrong Abs. Here? Abs make a book. They just make a book. This is like the, it covers the opposite of the Mr.'s cover, for sure. <laughs> I'm going to read a little bit about it. Jamie Canning has been, has never been able to figure out how he lost his closest friends. friend. Four years ago, his tattooed, wisecracking, rule-breaking roommate cut off with him off without an explanation. So what if things got a little weird on the last night of hockey camp the summer they were 18? It was just a little bit of drunken foolishness. Nobody died. Ryan Wellesley's biggest regret is coaxing his very straight friend into a bet that he pushed the boundaries of their relationship. Now with their college team set to face off in the national championship, he'll have a chance to apologize. But all it takes is one look at his longtime crush, and the ache is stronger than ever. I'm so excited. I'm so about excited. It. I mean, okay, so we have to agree that this is gay hockey romance, clearly written by a woman, which is problematic. We can all agree yes. that it's problematic. But yes. gay hockey romance, I, I, I actually have to tell you, I have started this book, um, uh-huh. and it is excellent. Um, <gasps> I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, whenever like dudes get together, it's like they just like throw each other around and then just make out. You know. Like, also, it's always, like, weirdly masculine making out. Yeah. Also, I love the fact that this has to do with a national championship. It reminds me of, like, what would have happened if we would have just continued the uh, the the plot progression of the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So true. Uh, like, we, we got to D3, but we did not get to this there was- level. Totally, some dudes that would hook up in that situation. There was the one that was like he was part of another team, and then he moved into that team. Yes, I need to rewatch that. Um, and also, the tagline is "They don't play for the same team, or do they?" <laughs> I'm going to love this book. I I'm hope you sure will. I will. I wish, like, maybe like a whole team becomes gay. Wouldn't that be adorable? That would be so adorable. Thank you for listening to Getting Lit, available monthly on iTunes. Thank you, Rosie, who edits this podcast. Thanks again, Rosie. Thanks, Rosie. We love you. For more extra bonus features for this episode, you can visit gwenwendy.com slash s3ep4, where you can read more about Wendy. You can follow Alana on Twitter, at librarianalana. What's the best type of romance novel, Wendy? The trashy kind. The Analana's podcast. Wendy Analana's podcast. Get literary, get literary. Woo!